Oh, good morning. We've been the last couple of weeks been working through uh, one of my, I think it's a very personal, one of my favourite passages uh, in all of Scripture, the road to Emmaus. I know we're out of season liturgically and I just don't care. It's, it's a wonderful passage for any time. And it's, uh, I've got it up on the, on the screen there behind you. But we're looking there um, three weeks at this passage. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And then they told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The first week we looked in that, there were people who were to, to tell the story of what happened, to tell us this great resurrection, victory of God's story how we encountered the risen Lord. And then last week we looked and we saw that, well, God makes himself known by his gracious hospitality to strangers and even his enemies. And as people, if we're to make him known in our context as well, we're to be the same. Open wide our tables to strangers in our midst. And today I want to look at one final encouragement and challenge in this text that's jumped out as I've reread it again, highlighted um, up voices, and, and they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. My readings of this, I, I hadn't noticed this one before, it hadn't popped in the way it did. Then there's a repetition of this return to Jerusalem, uh, just some verses later, in verse 52, and it says, And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and were continually in the temple blessing God. What an incredible story, isn't it? They, they returned to Jerusalem. The, the place of their incredible disappointment, their lost hope, their, their shame, their seeming um, victory of evil over this one that they thought was the Messiah. All of their hopes and dreams had crumbled. It was a dangerous place to be um, associated with this crucified one, this great blasphemer. And they, they, they go back to that place with great joy. We love stories like that, don't we? I do. It's the story of um, the great reversal of fortune. I'm, I'm particularly struck by it because for, for years I, kind of, I, I gave myself to this. I had, um, through high school, I missed a couple of years off school with, with a back injury. I lost a sense of community and the ability to, to do the things that I loved. And it, w- it was a challenging time. I had a, another time in my mid-twenties, um, many of you have shared this with before, I, I struggled with I had chronic fatigue syndrome and ended up with clinical depression and, and hit absolute rock bottom. And it was more than a dark night of the soul. It was a, a long period of that. And um, I wasn't walking with the Lord at that time. And I, I bounced back, um, praise God, and it came to full health, and I, and I noticed around in our culture that this isn't something that was um, particular to me. I look around, we walked around, I saw hopelessness in people, and I see raising rates of depression. Um, New Zealand has world-leading suicide rates, a beautiful country, incredible place, and yet we're champions when it comes to, to that fact. And I was given to, and I think many of us, are, our, our hearts rightly and naturally go and we want to, um, from our experiences, speak some sort of hope, don't we? 
We, we want for someone that's struggling in that situation. We want a life turnaround and we, we want them to experience some sort of joy. That, that's a right and it's a good thing and, and I gave myself to it. I had a, a company called um, Silver Linings. It was underpinned by three words, encouragement, perspective and hope. And I went around and I, I collected, um, I interviewed stories from some of New Zealand's most famous people. Rugby coaches, the, the, uh, most famous businessmen uh, and women and just these incredible stories and I asked them about their failures, their mistakes and adversity and I gathered them all up and I put them in a couple of books and um, gave away copies to, to every school in the country and I got to speak at conferences on, on failure and, and, and adversity and um, trials and with this in, intention of I don't want you to stay here experiencing um, this despair. But as, though, as, as good as that, that was, my impulse was very right, I think, that the message that I was actually giving out, it fell far short of an ability to produce great joy. Really, it comes down to one of two things. It's, it either becomes self-help, um, which is if you just do this and you follow these examples where you can do this and follow this path, you will have this. And maybe it's, um, maybe it's framed as well that really... We sell people happiness. Not, not joy, but it's like what will make us happy? What is, what is the good life? And so we encourage this self-effort to get there. Maybe it's that. that the other problem I would say I had with the message is, and actually if we're shifting, um, we've, all our packs and stuff, it's, um, it's, on a, it's on a container on the way to New Zealand now, so we've been packing all week. And as we were doing that, I, I found an old business card that I had on the back, with an image up here, uh, Skipping ahead a couple. That one. And I found it, this is like just on the back of it, and it's, sometimes it's the grinding down that releases our full flavour. And if you count those coffee beans, catchy, looks good, it's image, isn't that it? Sometimes it's this event. But the problem with that, as good as it sounds, and people responded to it, the problem is, in some ways, you're making that very negative event salvific in itself. Now, that could be, but in many cases it doesn't. Um, look or address the issue that there might be sin in behind or there might be a great act of injustice behind it and just saying, well, there we go, it was all for good uh, doesn't deal with the issues behind it necessarily. And so it was, my impulse was right, but flawed. My message couldn't produce joy. And so I wondered as I came to faith, how do you reconcile this sort of stuff? Where is it? And we looked and thought, here it is, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And we'll look at it and say, well, what, what is it then that causes this? And we'll look at that uh, this morning just briefly together. What causes this great reversal in fortune and what are a couple of implications for us to consider as we finish up with this uh, beautiful narrative? That's just that Luke's Gospel, if we look at the whole entirety of it, it's, it's pretty clear. And he's pointing back and he's saying, look, this great reversal... It is the promised new exodus, promised throughout the Old Testament, especially in, in Isaiah. This, this great um, revisitation of God and the, the bringing of the kingdom, the forgiveness of sins, the putting of things right, that the coming of the great Davidic king who would rule with justice and, and righteousness and, and bring true peace. 
Think about, um, we just touched very quickly on a few points. Isaiah 9 starts off in from Christmas. The people walking in darkness, the great reversal, have seen a great light. And what does, it, what does it produce? It brings rejoicing, he says, like the rejoicing in the harvest. And we see that if we read on that passage that this um, light from darkness that produces this great joy is in response to the coming of the, the birth of a son who will rule forever on the throne of David. Isaiah 52, we, we read from our Old Testament scripture today, there's this proclamation of this good news, the arrival of this king. It's, it's going to be met with this incredible joy. And so when we come to Luke's Gospel and we look at the initial birth narratives right from the start, what we start to see is this great reversal taking shape. Consider just a few as we go through start to finish this great reversal producing incredible joy. The birth narratives, Elizabeth and Zechariah, the barren woman bearing fruit and they're told you'll have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Mary and the Magnificat, that beautiful song of salvation that she sings, there's this poor, lowly woman is now saying you're lifting up the poor. You've looked on the humble. You've scattered the proud. You've brought down the mighty from their thrones and you've exalted those in humble seats. You've filled the hungry with good things and and, and the rich you've sent away empty. We see this poor female commoner is even held up as the model of faith while the piety of the priest in the temple is, is brought into question. There's a great reversal going on here. The birth of the son. Think of the shepherds. Fear not, for behold, I bring you glad tidings of great joy. And the lowly shepherds, in encountering the birth of their Saviour, return with joy on their lips, we're told, glorifying and praising God. And in this surprising reversed way, the shepherds of the city of David are the Davidic king's first subjects. The world's being turned upside down. And the reversal continue in Jesus' Galilean ministry as well and we see great joy coming through there. Jesus, quoting Isaiah 61, he reveals this is good news to the poor. It's bringing liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, liberty for the oppressed. He continues with his Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Plain reversing who it is that's blessed and who it is that should receive the woes. He says to those who are persecuted for, for his name's sake, who are reviled, he says, will rejoice in that day and leap for joy to behold your rewards great in heaven. Again, this kingdom reversal, this turning upside down of the world producing this great joy. John the Baptist is... Um, He's had his um, position reversed and somebody finds himself in prison, doesn't he? He's fearing for his life. And he says, well, hang on about, could, could you ask, Jesus, are you really the one that we hoped for? Or is there someone else? And here Jesus responds to more reversals. He says, well, look, the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the, the deaf hear, 
The dead are raised up and the poor are having good news preached to them. The great reversal is breaking in and the world has been turned upside down and the poor respond with great joy. These reversals continue to bring joy on the path to Jerusalem as well. I think it's the three parables that Jesus tells about the lost sheep, the lost coin and the lost sons. We see this joy of God and the joy of the kingdom. This work of God to restore those who were lost. His love going out, his mercy, his grace and his welcome to those he loved when they're restored. And these great joys, this produces banqueting. Joy when someone lost is found and are crying out to the neighbours, come, come and eat with me, I've, I've found a sheep. Come and, and feast with me, banquet in great joy because I've found my coin. Come, feast and banquet because my son has returned. This is the work of God and it produces joy. Christ is bringing about this work and joining, he is, he is the work, he's bringing the kingdom that they'd hoped for. And then of course we see the reversals in Jerusalem. We see the triumphal entry of the humble king on a donkey. Well that was unexpected. And then an incredible reversal from this great joy of praise and celebration saying Hosanna, Hosanna. The reversal from those cries just a week later to, to crucify him. He's not our king. He's a blasphemer. He deserves death. And the verdict of the people is that he's owed death. He's not who he claims to be. And then we come to this passage on that first Easter Sunday and this road to Emmaus. In this final scene, there's this incredible reversal that we see in the resurrection. You see, the verdict of the people condemning Jesus as being worthy of death is overturned by God who vindicates him as his true son, the promised king, raising him to life. We also see when Jesus shows his body and the, the marks of the cross still on there, and yet he's raised, we see the effects of sin and death have also been overturned. There's new life, the first fruits of new creation. If you have eyes to see it, there's a beautiful little hint in there of the the restoration of Simon who denied Jesus. His very personal um, rejection of Jesus and yet this, this message that Luke sort of touches at saying the Lord has appeared to Simon. Forgiveness, reconciliation and restoration in that, in that relationship. We also if we have ears to, to hear it there that, that the woman's testimony, the woman who had testified to the resurrected Jesus and hadn't been believed, their witness has been vindicated as well. They're credible witnesses. Their role has been elevated back to its rightful place. We see the, the mocking of the soldiers and the religious rulers is reversed with the praise and the worship of the disciples. And their despair is replaced with great joy. Lastly, we see the, the gospel that began in the temple with the old covenant ritual for the forgiveness of sins that Zechariah was participating in. It now ends back in the temple with Jesus as 
that fulfilment in the new covenant means, that, that brings about the complete and the final forgiveness of sins. The great reversal has taken place. And all the way through it, I suggest, if we, if we look at this, and we read it and sit down in one reading, which I encourage you to do, the whole Gospel screams out to us that God's been faithful to his people, faithful to his creation, faithful to his covenant. He's visited his people. The new creation has broken in. The whole world and its evil systems and its power has been turned upside down. And if we look and if we read this as I think we're invited into, it screams out to us, come and join the joyous party. Come and, and, and join the joyous party. God has been faithful. He has visited his people, established the righteous and just, longed for, hoped for king to establish his kingdom. And just turn the world upside down. Come and join the joyous party. Well, if that's what I think is going on, well, a couple of implications or some thoughts. It's clear as well in the Gospel that that's the overwhelming arc that we're supposed to see and experience. It's what we're to be invited into. Luke's very clear as well that the response to it is not universal. In the introduction, he's speaking to, to Theophilus and he's saying, look, I'm writing to you a factual account to tell you the things that have been accomplished. The, the new exodus, the new creation, the forgiveness of sins. And he's saying, I'm telling you that you can be confident of what you've been taught. This is contested. He's saying, I want you to know it. I want you to be confident of this. We see Jesus um, as well. He, um, Simeon uh, tells Jesus' his parents, he says, Lord, Jesus has been appointed for the rise and for the fall of many. Both things. And Jesus himself says, after he's, he's preached the sermon on, on the plain, he even says, well, look, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. She does in response to, to John's question. Blessed is the one who's not offended by the work of God in the lifting up of the poor and the needy, and the feeding of those, that they're bringing back into the table fellowship those who are sinners. This is the work of God. And blessed are those who aren't offended by me doing this. It's also interesting that in this Gospel as well, fear normally comes before this great joy. And there's this, those who respond are ones who recognise their great need. They recognise their shortcomings. They recognise their poverty of spirit. They have a humility and this is good news for them. And so there's a, an initial reaction of fear and then comes the command, but fear not. And then they respond in recognising they've been accepted. And yet that's contrasted with those who are proud self-righteous and unable to see their sin or their need for this kingdom or for those who would contest the good news of the turning over of the world and the new um, administration coming in. And so, to conclude, I, I, 
I think we're asked to consider three things. First one, what's our response to God's new age, to this great new exodus and this kingdom of God that's going to last forever? Are we submitted to his agenda, to the the things that God's heart longs for, that he has given himself to, that Jesus died for, to bring about? Are Are we given to those things? Secondly, does, does that agenda cause us to rejoice or does it offend us? In our self-righteousness that I've earned these things. Someone shouldn't get them for nothing. So, well, do I see my need for forgiveness? Can I acknowledge that? And so we've seen there that if we, if we let Luke's Gospel and his Word ask us these questions, what I suggest is that we find ourselves in the role of the older brother in the parable in Luke 15. We're outside. We've been shown what the kingdom is about. We've been invited to participate in this joyous party. Do we join it or do we stay outside? Another thing I think that this text puts before us and causes us to consider. Is our object or source of joy Christ and his kingdom or is our joy in present temporal things and worldly things? Jesus addresses that specifically in his Sermon on the Mount. It raises that contrast. So read about it. Am I given to this? Is Jesus and the breaking in of his kingdom a source of joy. And the last thing I want to reflect on and suggest to double it back, we look around, it's right to see needs out there. People are walking that road to Emmaus, just like I did and like many of you have and are. We had hoped. The question is, are we going to point them to the true source of joy or offer them some temporal happiness. If we're going to love our neighbour and help them on the road to joy, Jesus gives us the instruction for what we're called to do before he ascends to the throne. He says the repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name. Repentance and the forgiveness of sins is at the heart of that. If I want a turn in someone's fortunes, if I want them to go from experience of despair to joy in its greatest form, here's the message. If I'm seeking my own power to be like God, I'm called to to repentance. And yet the good news is, it's the one that most of us, and I encourage us with today, if we're here and we're struggling, and the the weight of sin, the, the, the shame of it, a struggle and wondering was, God love us, are we, are we accepted? Am I really, do I really have a seat at the table and a place in the kingdom? And there's the promise of the forgiveness of sins. This is the work of God to reconcile us to himself and make all things new in Christ. It's good news for us and walking with people on our path, we want to love our neighbour. 
Are we prepared to share that as the great transformational act, repentance and the forgiveness of sins? Good platitudes are good. They fall short. Can't bring about new life. And so we've got to put the choice in front of other people in the same way that Luke has put it in front of us. But remember as we do it, walking with them, hearing their stories, opening our tables to them. And remember that it's good news for the oppressed, for the downcast and for the hopeless. The message is that Jesus is the King we long for, that our sins are forgiven and that we're welcomed to join a joyous party. Amen.